0: growth I've gotten is probably through email marketing. Um, I'm a big fan of using like emotional connection and uh, sending a lot of emails that look personalized but they're not to start conversations and then talk to those people as much as possible because they're going to be your allies moving forward.
1: You're listening to episode number one of the Young Founders podcast hosted by myself, Riley Farbaugh, as well as my good friend and colleague, Nate Boland. On this episode of the podcast, we've got Peter Silverman. Pete is one of the co-founders of MajorWise, which is an ed tech platform that connects high school students with potential job and internship opportunities. In the company's own words, MajorWise focuses on simplifying the job search process, connecting students with the gig economy, and helping students gain more knowledge and experience to succeed in their field. Pete's a former UVM student, as well as a former VSET member, and in 2017, his startup became the first student-run business to win the Launch VT pitch competition, the oldest and largest business pitch contest in the state. Their board of advisors includes Dave Bradbury, one of the partners at VSET, Mark Boll, a local Burlington entrepreneur responsible for the popular data storage app, Data Vault, as well as a suite of language learning apps under the Lingua brand, Kelly Scannell, an EdTech startup advisor and the COO of Reading Plus, among other things, and Jeff Strawbridge, who's the founder of Bootstrap BT and a veteran in the Burlington marketing and tech scenes. On this episode, we chat about the importance of Pete's board of advisors and what they've been able to do for the company, The challenges of starting a business at age 19 while still attending uh, university at University of Vermont. uh, How Pete and Max raised $200,000 for their startup before they even left school. And the perils of raising money for your startup at a young age. We talked about uh, getting from idea to revenue and the point at which you realize your idea might actually work. We got Pete's definition of entrepreneurship and his thoughts on the importance of having a co-founder and why you shouldn't be focused on generating revenue off the bat, but instead solving the problem. We also talked about tips and and tactics for email outreach and getting value from sales calls that don't convert and why every founder should should pay for third-party audits of their website. Be sure to connect with Pete on social media. You can find him on Twitter at Pete underscore Silverman. You can find me at Riley Farah, Nate at NT Bowl. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Young Founders. Before we dive into this first episode of the podcast, let me just apologize in advance for the audio. This was the first time that Nate and I had ever recorded a podcast and Pete was down in Boston at the time. So it's a little echoey, but uh, there's still some great content in here. So without further ado, uh, let's dive right in and uh, we'll take it away. Pete, welcome to the Young Founders Podcast. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, very professional. Love the intro.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Had to give you some props there. Um, Pete, why don't you give the listeners a little intro to MajorWise? Sure. Um, I think you covered the basics. Uh, So basically what we do is we make software to help over 20,000 high schools in the country who have some form of work-based learning uh, required
0: to graduate, which is the jargon word that basically means any learning that isn't in the
1: classroom. So everything from... Uh, job shadows
0: to internships to volunteering. We connect them with a big range of employers to basically find an opportunity that fits the students' needs and interests, which will boost their college application, it'll boost their
1: resume, and it'll give them a connection for their first job a little bit later in life. Pete, talk about how this whole thing started. Take us from the idea to the first moment when you realized that the idea might actually work.
0: Um... Okay. I think <laughs> that actually might have been several years. Because <laughs> I, I pivoted my idea several times. I, I've been working on this for about three years, and my first idea didn't make any sense. I was basically a headhunter for like college internships. And that was when I was a sophomore in college, and I was just very stressed out in my dorm room about finding a job, even though I was like a business major with like a fine GPA. Uh, despite not ending up with one by the end. (laughs) Um, And basically, I was just drinking, like, 12 espresso shots, as you do. And (laughs) I was talking to my buddy, Max, who's my roommate and later became my co-founder. And I was just talking to him. I was like, man, like, I don't actually know where to work or find a job, like, at all in Vermont or even, like, out of college. Like, I don't really know what to do. And the only thing college prepared us for was really getting a job at like a big accounting firm or like going to cpa or grad school because i went to university of vermont it's a big research facility so it it basically just tried to get you to keep going to more school (laughs) i just kind of wanted to build stuff um so yeah basically what i did from there was i started trying to find all my friends jobs and make it a business and i had no idea how to do that so the first thing I did was I went to a lot of networking events. I went to about six networking events a week for six months. I became relatively well-known in like the community in Vermont, and at the end of the six months, I really had accomplished not that much. I found about 500 kids' jobs out of college by the end of the year, but it was pretty much all by hand, and I didn't really have a product, and my revenue model really made no sense. <laughs> so, to answer your question of like when did I think it would work um I'd say uh, my first iteration I never thought it would work. my second iteration where I was building websites to find college students' jobs that I had some faith in, and then when I started building systems for colleges that I had a little more faith in, and then when I started building systems for high schools, I say I'd say I had a lot of confidence it would work like three to six to nine months ago. So very recent.
1: (laughs) Very, very recent. So you guys worked for a long time, like before you started to produce real revenue. I think that's true of a lot of startups, but talk about the challenges of building a business with a somewhat longer path to revenue and longer sales cycle.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. Um, okay, so the idea with that is when I started building a company, I was nineteen and I was in college at UVM. So, I didn't really have the most amount of capital to spend. I think I had about two thousand bucks in savings, and I think Max and I pulled through about in about thousand dollars. So we really had no money, and we spent it like idiots too. I think we spent it on like stickers and like <laughs> like logos. It's just like you guys would have like a revenue model or a product. Like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, we have stickers, dude. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Can we uh, wait? Can you uh, refocus me? I started thinking about stickers.
1: <laughs> so I, you know, I think a lot of businesses struggle with this when they're starting out. Is how do they get from idea to, you know, revenue and that place we talked about where you start to realize that the idea might actually work?
0: Right, I remember my thought now. Yeah, so my theory was mostly around exploiting a lot of, or not exploiting, just really trying to get good at pitch competitions that were held at the university level and then also just in Burlington, Vermont, where we were going to school. Uh, So there was probably, like, total, there was about maybe... $150,000 One hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of like cash and services you could win through strictly pitch competitions, and I was really just trying to make like the best idea for a business, um, and in the meantime, trying to figure out what I was good at. So that was my strategy around getting initial funding and traction, because I figured I could win speech competitions basically with like an okay business model, and then that would give me the amount of revenue to like have funding and actually try it out. Um, so that was my strategy to mainly get enough money to, like, get rolling. Um, I really like bootstrapping. I don't really like raising money early because uh, I didn't even take investors for the first two years, even though I had the option to. And the reason I didn't do that was because I feel like when you have investors, you're, you're doing it not for yourself. You're doing it for a return on your investment, right? Like, you're trying to just make as much money as possible and... You're not trying to like fix the problem as best as possible, and when you run a business such as mine, where it's really a, a it's a newly defined problem, it's it's a problem that's come out in the past like five years, and there's not a clean solution. Like the goal shouldn't be revenue; the goal should be becoming the person who has the best solution, so you can have all the market share. Um, so that that was my thought around it. Um, I'm I'm more focused on building a very cool solution. I'm trying to be more of a product person as opposed to just like pure building the best, uh, most revenue-creating company. And if I was trying to do that, I don't even think I'd be in education technology at all. (laughs)
1: Um, Pete, there's a great story that I've heard you tell about uh, the early days of of building your team and, and getting some help in your business. That's been one of my challenge. My biggest challenges personally is is building the team and the company culture. Uh, the the story I'm referring to has to do with shoes. Um, can can you tell <laughs> yeah. that story and talk about how you've managed to attract talent into your business and how you've shaped your company culture?
0: Definitely. So um, when I was building my company originally. And right now I build software for high schools, but then I was uh, finding college students jobs. Uh, So it's changed a little bit, but essentially what I was doing was (laughs) getting people jobs. And I really wanted to spread the word to get like students on my platform in college. And it uh, it was really hard because students are really busy and in college you're always bogged down with a million surveys from UVM anyways. And I was like really trying to get people involved. So I was like, Man, I should just like, uh, I should pay people to like, get all of their friends to like, like this on Facebook, and like share to their friends and if they see a uh, job they like, like send it to their friends. But I really didn't have any money to spend on it. So um, I just convinced a lot of college students that it was going to look really great on their resume, and it wouldn't be that much work, because I would just write them templates to share on their social media, and then they would <laughs> <laughs> just share it to their friends, and basically uh once i made a few sales uh getting job posts on the site I, I would just uh spend the money on air jordans and like beer and just give it to them and they couldn't <laughs> be happier they were always so <laughs> they were always so happy about it and it was pretty funny you'd walk around ubm there'd be all the people who have like done something for me because they have a the same white and blue Air Jordans. <laughs> was that the story
1: you are talking about? Yeah, yeah, was it was. I think that's such <laughs> a great story, and, and thank you for telling that. I think a lot of people are going are to get a lot of joy out of that.
2: <laughs> so as starting a company, you obviously run into some challenges, um, either with just trying to make things work, trying to get money, um, et cetera. So how do you deal with like these hard times during a... Uh, during starting a business, and how do you not let it um, basically tear down the business and just keep on pushing through it? Because you have been um, continually growing this business for about three to four years, um, which is pretty impressive for such um, a unique uh, revenue path, Um, so how do you just keep on going with that, and uh, what keeps you motivated and keep on uh, uh, innovating with your company?
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So the question's mostly around motivation.
2: Yeah. What keeps Um, you uh, out of like the, uh, like whenever you hit a hardship or a a downtime in the company, what keeps you pushing through that um, in order to reach your next goal?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I heard a really great quote about entrepreneurship one time and it just said uh, entrepreneurship is just the panic attacks you have in between your big breaks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, that never really <laughs> That was like something that resonated With me the most um, Yeah, staying motivated is really hard um, I had a couple Experiences in life where I really didn't Do well in corporate environments um, I got fired from a couple jobs at Tech companies because I was pulling pranks on people And stuff, which was just <laughs> like stupid Shit <laughs> um, So yeah it's, it, it's definitely really difficult to stay motivated I don't really have a great strategy because when i started my business i had my best friend max was like doing it with me and so everything i had i would like kind of talk through him with it 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 helps a lot to just kind of have someone go through it with you whether it's an advisor or someone who like can kind of talk you through it or like get your uh, head out of like your little stress zone of like oh my god terrible um so that's basically how I deal with it. I really just have a great support network with my founding team members and Max. Um, and a lot of my advisors, I really love Mark Bull. I really love uh, Jeff Strawbridge. Um, everyone from the learn launch uh, events are always really great. Uh, I, I really couldn't be happier with my uh, team. I think that's really how I get through it, but there's a lot of strategies. Um, I just know that I'm not the person that could be a solo founder. Uh, I think I have a lot of skills around, Building cool products and getting minimal viable products out the door and making them really exciting and selling them. But I think I'm very bad at the logistical side. I think I'm not the best at management, and I think I'm not the best at uh, running a lot of the nitty gritty of the company. And I, I think it's important to recognize that because if, if you think you're going to be great at everything and you're not, then you're just kind of setting yourself up for failure, you know.
1: So, Pete, you touched on the board of advisors. Uh, I think when you and Max started this business, you were both sophomores at UVM, is that correct? Yeah,
0: I think we were 19, yeah.
1: So talk about the importance of your board and the impact that those people have had on the company and and what's been the best guidance that they've been a- able to offer you along the way. Ooh.
0: okay, yeah, that's a good question. Um, sure, so I basically found a lot of my advisors through just networking events. Because I was I was networking and I was trying to find students' jobs anyways. And a lot of the advisors I had were just really interested
1: in like what I was doing. And anyone who like will like just listen to you pitch
0: is pretty honestly like worthwhile to your business. Because if you can bounce ideas off them, like there's gonna be a lot of downtime when you're just kind of like in your car driving to meetings and you have ideas and you have uh, someone you want to run ideas by. And uh, Riley actually knows this, but I think I called him like two or three times in the past month or two. <laughs> <laughs> Just like throwing some random social media ideas at him. Um, but yeah, those are the people that I really like because um, they were always there for those ideas. Um, and the, probably the most influential one has been Mark Bull. He was our first investor. He was our main strategist for all of our sales. Um The original deal I had with him before he invested was Mark Bull wanted a certain amount of equity. Uh, It was just a sliver of equity. It was like less than a quarter percent or something, or a quarter percent, something around there. Um, And he just wanted to trade his consulting time for it. And with startups, it's either gonna work or it's not. And when it's that small amount of equity for someone who works as a sales manager for both Oracle and Microsoft before their IPOs, I was like, this is an amazing deal. I'm obviously taking this. And what I got from it was not only like a 30-page sales guide and a lot of content marketing and sales advice, but every time I ran into like objections or I was like, here's a client that's saying this, like how do I manage that? Mark was always there and he would just answer me in an email at like weird hours because I was up to like 5 a.m. like doing coding projects and stuff. And Mark was always up too because he just like wakes up at 4 in the morning. (laughs) I was like, whoa, what's up? Um, So yeah, that was probably the most influential advisor, but all of them are great. Um, Yeah, if you just go through my website, Kelly Scanell bought me tickets to my first conference in uh, Boston, which I found a lot of great clients from. Jeff Strawbridge has been an amazing resource, I know you do a little bit of work with him too Riley. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really couldn't be happier with all my advisors and all the ones that uh, I was in through my business accelerators have been being Warren Watch and New School's Venture Fund. I think those are all amazing, amazing resources too.
2: So you mentioned a little bit about, uh, about um, Mark Bowl helping you raise some capital. I know that a lot of new businesses, especially uh, people that are younger, trying to businesses have some trouble uh, raising capital. Um, how were you able to do it um, quickly and efficiently?
0: I was not able to do it quickly. Oh, you <laughs> <laughs> Is the trick?
1: Well, talk talk no, about spent... what you've learned raising capital and and what advice sure. you have.
0: Sure. So I spent about. Two years just kind of bootstrapping it and making what I could with very little. And so my presentation for what I did raise my capital was really strong because I said, I've worked with this team for two, two and a half years. Uh, we all work really well together. We did this on a budget of just sales we made, of just products we built that we sold, of just pitch competitions. And we're moving to Boston. We got into these accelerator programs, and we're going to hit it hard. And that was a pretty strong pitch. But I, I feel like a lot of the people I've seen – try to raise money at early ages, um, since we're talking about young founders here. Um, They have this idea that they want to raise a lot of money very quickly, as opposed to, I took the opposite approach. I said I wanted to raise $200,000 when I graduated from college so I could have 18 months runway to pay me and my founders and pay ourselves very minimally, only like $30,000 a year, and we're just going to build this and make something really great. And uh, I basically got a couple influencers who are really important. I got Kelly Udden, who was a family friend of a friend of Max's. And she was like a big top 50 employee at Athena Health. And they, uh, she was uh, one of the first 50 employees, and they grew to like 5,000. And she was also head of the Burlington Country Club. And she let us hold a pitch event there where we pitched a bunch of people who go to the country club, which was fun because they got to pretend they're on Shark Tank. And I got to hang out at the country club pretend <laughs> I know how to play golf. Um, and Mark Ball was there, too, actually. And he basically just talked about he He's like, hey, I'm in an investment. I'm really committed. I think these guys are great. And, yeah, that's, that's basically how I raised money. I got two or three major influencers that I built relationships with for about two, three years. Then I used their networks to hold events. And then I held a pitch and I bought them drinks and I was nice. And then I followed up on email and phone calls and just drove up to Burlington for Boston, even when I live in Boston now, and basically just met with them over and over and over again until they were comfortable spending me money.
1: Um, Pete, there was an article in NBC News um, that there, there's a really great quote from Max that I might pull into the discussion later, but one of the things that I noticed uh, in it from your side was uh, the amount of phone calls and emails that you make on a daily basis. Uh, I think it was – I don't have the article in front of me now, but uh, you know, give, give the listeners a, a general estimate for, for how many connections you're making on a daily basis.
0: I actually have a better stat because I was looking at my uh, iPhone recently, and it said on average, uh, on an average weekday, I spend about seven hours on the phone every day, <laughs> which is like disgusting. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think it's really important to spend almost all of your time talking to clients, uh, especially early on, because I I'm pretty close to product market fit. I have a lot of customers where the products and packages are resonating. And I'm mostly talking about sales now, which is, it's a great sign because it doesn't say, like, no one wants this, no one will ever want this. Like, they clearly are accepting the product exists and it fits their needs. And now I'm just, like, figuring out pricing and how to, like, fit the sales cycle best, which is a much better spot to be in. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's incredibly important to just stay uh, with your clients as long as possible and just understand the problem and solve the problem as opposed to just completely focus on revenue but yeah, to answer your original question, I think I think I'd probably do about sixty phone calls a day roughly a lot of those are voicemails and a lot of those are like advisor calls or me calling my like entrepreneur friends and just running ideas by them so they're not all business but they are they are high in volume for sure
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing um so i I won't ask you about revenue but you guys have managed to grow fairly quickly over the last uh, three years or so. Um, what's, what's been the key drivers of that growth? What would you say are the growth hacks, if you will, that, that you've been able to implement?
0: The growth hacks. Um, I'd say the best growth I've gotten is probably through email marketing. Um, I'm a big fan of using like emotional connection and uh, sending a lot of emails that look personalized, but they're not to start conversations and then talk to those people as much as possible because they're going to be your allies moving forward. Um, and a pretty common strategy that I almost always suggest to everyone is just say, uh, whatever your target audience is, you should just buy a list of them because they're not that expensive. I think I bought a list of, I'm, I'm recently talking to like HR people in like mid to large size companies in Boston, New York, and I bought a list of like 20,000 of them online for about, 400 bucks and from there I plug that into my email marketing software and I make the email look like it's personal and I say hey um, I've been looking at your company for a long time Uh, my name is Pete Silverman here's what I do I'd really love to have a 15-minute conversation with you if you're open to it Um, what I do is gonna help you in this way it's free or I'll give you a free thing and if you could even just give me your feedback, I think that'd be really valuable because I consider you an expert in the space. <laughs> you always you always got to ego stroke them a little bit. Everyone loves that.
1: Yeah. And how do you weed through all those emails? Uh, how many emails did you say? 20,000? Yeah, about 20,000. And then is your strategy, you know, one blast all of them and then follow – like – I, I can't imagine more than, you know, 1% follow up with you, but I guess even 1% of 20,000 is 200, 200, yeah. 200. <laughs> I
2: don't
1: remember. um, okay. So that, that's a lot of really, really good leads if, if that's how many respond. But, um, you know, is, is that the strategy or, you know, are you looking at opens or how do you, how do you determine engagement there?
0: Sure. Um, a lot of people will just respond by hand. um, and you, you have to set it up. I set it up in MailChimp or Close.io, but any CRM or email marketing service will work. Um, and I set it up so it staggers throughout the day or the week, depending on how big the campaign is. And I'm really good at email sequences and conditional logic on email campaigns. Um, I learned a lot from HubSpot, because I worked as a competitor uh, to HubSpot when I was a little bit younger. And... I suggest looking at their follow-up email campaigns. I think there's some article like 16 follow-up sales emails or something. Um, But, yeah, it basically says just, like, if you keep following up, people will generally keep talking to you or maybe they just didn't see the first email. Um, But as long as it's worded nicely, it looks like it's a personal email and it's a real human, uh, they will respond or they'll at least look at it. Uh, So I have eight different follow-up campaigns for did not open or opened and did not respond. And they try to create a good amount of urgency. And uh, something I always try to do is when I have a client I'm talking to or a potential client, even if they say that, like, I'm not going to buy your thing, I always try to think, like, what can I get out of them, though? So, like, say there's an example of, like, uh, I'm selling to a school, but they don't have budget for me this year. Um, But they might in, like, six months or a year, right? So then I can say, like, oh, okay, but, like, can I call you in six months and we can talk about it then, right? Or say, like, they're like, I never want your product. Be like, okay, but do you see the value in it? And then if they're like, yes, you can be like, okay, well, since you're an expert in this field, would you consider writing me a guest blog post? Or can I interview you? Or can I have a testimonial? Or do you know any other schools that would really like this product? Um, So just always think about, like, Every lead might not convert to a sale, but that's a linear way of thinking. You wanted to see, like, what can you get out of people at every given step of the process, right? Because everyone has resources that they can help you and send to you. You just gotta think more creatively about what you can get out of people.
1: Yeah, that's really smart. Uh, so what do you
2: think your greatest accomplishment has been uh, thus far, and what do you yearn to accomplish?
0: Yearn, ooh. Um, my greatest accomplishment thus far um, I guess, like, in a vacuum, raising $200,000 is probably the most impressive. Um, <laughs> because all my other metrics aren't, like, they're fine. They're not the most impressive, though. I'm probably most proud of all of my sales campaigns because when I was building the original product, I didn't have a product. I had, like, a PowerPoint that I mocked up that was just, like, a picture of features. And I was trying to sell that, and I was like, let me just show you a demo of the website. And it was just like a PowerPoint presentation, it was just like, wait, that's not how a website works. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty impressive to get 20 initial sales like without a product. Um, but maybe that's, I know in a vacuum, that's like less impressive than raising $200,000. So <laughs> I don't know if everyone else would consider it that way. Um, but what I yearn to accomplish, I really want to just be the go-to solution for this problem. Um, specifically in high school internships, it's a new phenomenon in the last five years. And the only real documentation around it is in government documents. So what I'm trying to do is become a thought leader in the space. And I've made an effort to create a lot of content around that. And I should have a 30-page ebook about running your ideal high school internship program coming out pretty soon and basically signing on about 50 new schools and having Boston and New York City be my new hubs to really prove out my model. So I guess the position I'm in is I have a very good product. I have a low amount of clients. I have money and runway. And what I need to do is prove it out, get renewals, and scale it, which is much easier said than done.
1: Um Pete, where can people find more of your content if they want to follow along with that? And then the book isn't out yet, but how can how can we sign up for some sort of notification on that?
0: Sure. It's uh my Twitter is uh Pete underscore Silverman, or if you want to just look up MajorWise, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, it's just all slash majorwise. Oh, except our Twitter, which I have to fix. <laughs> Twitter is at get majorwise.
1: What's something that you wish you had known earlier or implemented sooner than you did? That's interesting. I have
0: a lot of answers for that. Um, as a founder or as like a sales guy, yeah, I, I have a lot of answers for that. I, I knew very little like three years ago. and now I know a little bit more, but <laughs> there's always more to learn, man. Um, My most recent thing I wish I knew more about was I wish I knew more about how to keep track of my developers and hold them accountable because I operated primarily on trust, which kind of burned me, not to name names, but uh, that was really hard, and I think it's, it's very important for once you have budget to do it. Every founder should pay for technical audits of their website, understand what their security issues are, and understand how much it's going to cost if you want to scale it up further because that ended up being about a hundred thousand dollar mistake for me recently which uh is, is not uh, <laughs> it's not a small hit you know um
1: without naming any names uh we obviously know that you guys had a little uh fallout recently with one of your co-founders um Talk about uh, the roles that you and Max play and how those roles have evolved since that uh, event.
0: Sure. Um, So me and Max's roles, I primarily just do sales marketing. Um, I really just like talking to people and being client-facing and being on the phone, obviously. Um, Max really likes, he's more of the introvert of the group, uh, and what he really likes to do is basically just make the, the best product possible, make sure every client has the best experience possible. Um, but yeah, since we had a recent falling out with our previous uh, chief technical officer, we have had to put on our recruiting hats and try to hire someone to replace them. And looking to scale up in the next couple of years, we need someone who's very good at management, who also has the ability to like, fix a lot of code problems very quickly. And is really, really good at front end uh, because we're primarily a site thats uh, it's, it's facing a non-technical audience of like high schoolers and guidance counselors and high school principals. Like, they, don't, they don't really care about technology. Um, so it, it doesn't really need to be like the most super secure. like you don't need like penetration testing or anything that technical. You just need it to look really good. Um, so yeah, we've had to do a lot of technical interviews recently and that's been pretty difficult honestly i have struggled a fair amount
1: with doing interviews for technical people and again i had
0: to bring in outside consultants just to say like uh just to like, give them a proper technical interview and kind of challenge them a lot of on a lot of their coding decisions because like <laughs> even i sit in on all the interviews too where they say like what's your favorite like uh non-relational database right and I'm like, I could ask that question, but, like, I have no idea what the follow-up is. And I don't even know what a good or bad answer is, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, if they said Mongo or, like, J6 or whatever, like, I don't know if that's good or bad or why. So I, I definitely needed the outside help for recruiting. Um, but, yeah, no, Max and I have definitely had to spend a ton of time on recruiting lately. And in between that, there's all the regular management and sales and Working on UX/UI, developing new features, and talking to clients—if it's actually useful or not. So yeah, that's that's really where I'm at right
1: now. And obviously, that's uh, you know a really valuable and in-demand skill set. Is is someone to fill that position? Uh, like you said, you know, leadership and management are skill sets in and of themselves. Um, and and you know, hiring for that position is going to be really difficult, especially anticipating growth. Um, that's maybe something that you guys... Uh, a challenge that you guys would have faced regardless of uh, the the issue oh, that you guys faced. Oh,
0: definitely. Definitely. We were like, sort of hired for that position anyways because uh, our previous CTO was also just... He, he was pretty functional at developing uh, features before he kind of went AWOL for a couple months. But he very much so was... Uh, not a very good manager and I, th- I think that's a pretty common thing with like kind of younger developers who I, th- I think when you're very young you tr- as a developer a lot of people really try to prove themselves and be like I'm the smartest like check out all this cool shit I've made and like here's how I'm going to make this the most clever way possible whereas the, the older people I've interviewed are more so about like how can I make this the best way possible so other people can read it how can I work well in a team? How can I have like work on my interpersonal skills to actually make that better too? It's, it's really just a different mindset. And it's really hard for people who are like young, like 20, 22, to have the ability to be like very good at managing people and have that emotional intelligence and have those logistical planning skills, as well as like keep up with a lot of modern frameworks that you're probably learning for the first time within five years and then also be able to apply all the code as well and be able to check out people's code. So it's, it's a ton of skills, and I'm, I'm relatively convinced it's just too much for people to learn within a certain amount of time. And I think that's why I kind of had to move away from hiring younger developers, because I, I really just do need at least one or two senior guys to manage everyone.
2: So what's the worst advice you've ever been given or heard given to someone? The worst advice? <laughs> the worst <laughs> advice. You gotta know the, uh, the worst to uh, know the best, so. I'll share mine. I'll share
1: mine if, if you if you need yeah, a second. please do. That piece. Please do. Uh, and you know I, I'm early in my career as well. Uh, it's why we're we're on the young founders podcast, but um, uh, a popular piece of advice that I hear given is, especially in tech, is fail fast. Um, and to me, as an entrepreneur that's the opposite of what i want to do because to succeed as an entrepreneur i feel like all i have to do is stay in business right like right the longer that i can stay in business the more successful i am as an entrepreneur um interesting that's how i that's that's probably the piece of advice that i disagree with the most
0: that's interesting. I think that's a little different for you and me because you run your own marketing agency. So you, you failing is like very bad. But <laughs> I'm just trying to like redefine this problem like fundamentally. So <laughs> for me, like I think, I, I think if I failed zero times, that'd be great. But if I fail a few times or like uh, throw some stuff at the wall and push out some minimum viable products, uh, totally
1: not bad. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I think micro failure is good, but macro failure, right? Oh. And, and this is especially true, you know, especially in tech, but also of companies who are venture backed, right? Because the incentive or or the, the goal is, you know, kind of build, build a massive company or die. And there's, yes. you know, if you're venture funded, people don't want to have a venture funded company that's you know, a small company.
0: Yes, I agree. Okay, actually I just remembered the worst advice I said. I ended up pitching one investor who, I told him my idea and I told him our revenue and where we're going. And it's not the most, it's not a Facebook company. Um, I'll just put it like that. But we're basically aiming to get a couple million dollars in revenue by two years from now. And right now we're not there, but it's, it's going to get there. We have about a market of 20,000 clients and we have at least 20 who really like us and we're growing really quickly. Um, but when I pitched this particular investor, he said, uh, your idea is too small. Your idea needs to be like the next Facebook to get to me to invest. And I was like, that's just not how every business should work though. Like not everything has to be Facebook like investors obviously want to see like if they want to invest they want a home run you know but there's nothing wrong with running a business that's going to be a double or a triple or whatever right or even a single like why not
1: right absolutely um so in that's your vision for two years talk about where you see your company and yourself in five or ten years
0: Five or ten years?
1: Yeah, you said that you're looking to be a thought leader in the industry and, and things like that, but what does that look like to you? Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I see a really big opportunity to kind of become a thought leader in this industry, and I really want to be the person who writes the content and uh, makes kind of a flagship product in that space. So for the next five years... I'm really trying to brand myself as, like, the young hotshot who really understands this space and who has a lot of the best ideas and is the person you go to and trust for that type of content. Um, So I kind of just want to be, like, the HubSpot in, like, the work-based learning space. And I think HubSpot really did that beautifully when they said, like, you know, inbound marketing, like, check this out, we have all of the best... um, content around inbound marketing it was a, it's a phrase they coined you know and they just wrote all the content on it and I was like that's so smart like they just wrote a million blogs around this thing and then they made a piece of software around it and then everyone trusted it because it had all the same keywords and no one else even coined that yet I was like oh that's so brilliant um so I'm really trying to do that in the next five ten years um I really want to be a millionaire at 25 <laughs> that's my goal I don't even know what I'd do with the money. I'd probably still drink cheap beer. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I just want to like make something of myself. I just want to build cool stuff. I just want to grow it. I just want to make a cool flagship product and uh, help some people, make the world a little better.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great vision, Pete. Um, we're, we're coming up on 40 minutes here. Uh, before the call, Pete asked how long this would be. What I should have said was, depends how long it takes me to finish my beer uh and i know pete is nursing <laughs> one on the other side of this microphone as well um <laughs> so yeah, I, got, just, I
0: got a i don't mean to brag but i do have the champagne of beers so
1: enlighten us
0: no more highlights the champagne of beers <laughs>
1: um a couple more questions for you pete and then we'll let you go we appreciate your time on the podcast yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, what advice would you give to a young founder with an idea, and how might that advice change as the business business evolves?
0: Ooh, just build something. Um, actually, no. Just sell something. Yeah, I'd say the the biggest problem I find with people who have ideas is they want to pitch it, and they want to have money, and then they want to build it, and then they want to sell it. And I think that order is wrong because if you're looking to invest in a business, like you can already invest in one that builds and sells something, right? And if you want something just strictly built, I think you can easily go to like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something along those lines. Um, so what really speaks to me, not that I'm an investor, but what I've found that really speaks to me is when something, someone can sell something and if they've built it too, that's great. But it, I think it's very powerful and they say, like, I have, like, $30,000 in sales and my product is this thing I coded up or this thing I built with my hands and I just produced a bunch or I have some pre-orders and I'm building it now. I think that's really, really powerful. And I think the opposite effect of that is, like, when someone says, like, this is, like, a $10 trillion industry. And my idea is gonna capture 1% of the market. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not. Like, of course it's not, dude. Like, <laughs> capture 1% of the market, like never works. You can capture like 1% of the market of soda in China, you're like, oh, like five times trillionaire or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say sell your idea. And if you can get a pre-order, that's great. And I think that will give you the money or the motivation or both to build it, to raise your money, or to just grow it. But I think the most important thing is going to be able to sell something. And if you're against sales, which I know a lot of co-founders or founders are, and you're not comfortable with it, I'd say you really need to get a partner or someone invested in the company who is going to do that or is willing to train you up on it. Because I've seen way too many startups fail or stay stagnant or stay tiny because they're just completely uncomfortable with sales and they just don't want to do it. But it's literally the most important thing in the world.
1: So wrapping up here, Pete. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can people can follow you on your Twitter at Pete underscore Silverman. Uh, on your website, I, is it getmajorwise.com? dot com?
0: Yeah, soon to be MajorWise dot com. Soon Find to be MajorWise
1: Oh
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going through another website overhaul. Probably, like, my 12th overall. So, <laughs> <laughs> always moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to, like, offer advice or work on pitch decks or sales or whatever. But I work a lot on in that space, and I really like software-as-a-service businesses. And I like businesses that have kind of, like, a boring concept. So like, uh, you know our buddy Byron, who makes uh, easy probate, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Or,
0: yeah, I love – he just makes, like – the it's like a paperwork process for lawyers when someone's died, which is really morbid and like kind of boring. But he makes it really simple and easy and way cheaper. And that's like my favorite type of business. So yeah, if anyone wants to reach out about that, I love chatting about
2: that kind of thing. Uh,
1: and as well, uh, don't forget to head over to Pete's Twitter in the next, I don't know, Pete, couple weeks, couple months for the release of your ebook
0: oh man I'll have this done by hopefully by Thanksgiving okay. I'll try awesome. it. I'll, I'll definitely have it up by the first of next month so December 1st
1: and uh, Nate's got one last question for you and then I want to close up with a quote from Max and, and I hate to I almost hate to put this out there uh, because Max couldn't make it today but I'm just going to put it out again uh, when we do get him on the podcast because I love it that much but uh, Nate, right. Nate, go ahead. What's your What's your closing question? So, what is your definition of
2: entrepreneurship?
0: What is my definition? Oh man, I still love. I still love. It's just the panic attacks in between your big breaks. <laughs> That's a good one. That's the funniest. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go with that. I do have a funny thing I heard about entrepreneurs recently, though, that I'll I'll add on top of that. It says, uh, most entrepreneurs are probably mentally ill, but they're too busy to be diagnosed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll leave everyone with this uh, super powerful quote from Max that I really like. Um, This is in the NBC article that I referenced earlier. And uh, the, the article opens with, Despite a great idea, their initial efforts failed. For six months, they interviewed seniors and tried to introduce them to various employers. Max says, We were at an event every single day learning to network and better succinctly pitch our idea. Persistence was the key. Ideas are worthless without execution, And to execute, you need to explain your idea succinctly and convincingly. To do that, you need to constantly talk about what you're doing, network with everyone, and leverage your connections. It opens up a world of free resources for you. So uh, if I don't get to thank Max for that quote before you do, please pass that on. And uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast, Pete. We hope to catch up with you soon. Alright, this
0: is awesome. Thanks uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys.
1: Absolutely. Alright, Pete. Hey folks, it's Riley Farbaugh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Young Founders Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, if you got any value from it, please help spread the word, post a screenshot to your Instagram story, tell us what episodes you've been listening to on Twitter, share an episode with your Facebook fam, text someone a link to an episode if you think they benefit from it, and please leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Anything you guys can do to help us out is so helpful to us and very, very much appreciate it. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Riley Farah. Find Nate at NT Bowl. You can also find every episode of The Young Founders Podcast at theyoungfounders.com. We've also compiled a bunch of resources there to help you guys out on your journey towards creating a profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling business for yourselves, and if there's anything Nate and I can do to help you guys out along the way, please reach out to us. We both love connecting with other young entrepreneurs, and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Also, if you think you or someone you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the podcast, let us know that also. We're always looking for cool new guests. You can DM us or go to theyoungfounders.com slash apply and fill out the short form there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Young Founders Podcast. We'll see you next time.